0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 197 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming to you from a very warm Austin, Texas, as we're approaching 100 degrees here in the afternoon as I record. But that's Texas for you. It's all good. We're going to make it. I'm excited to be back with you today. I've got some fun current events to talk about as Things are heating up in terms of running news with races starting to happen. And then for today's topic, it'll be me talking about, I think, a topic that is really relevant for many and one that's hard to grasp. And that's this question of when to press versus when to rest. When to press versus when to rest. That's a question that you have to ask yourself within a season. It's a question that you have to ask yourself sometimes within workouts And knowing what that fine line is so that you don't push yourself over an edge is a really tough question and it requires experience, it requires learning your body, but I'm going to hopefully give you some shortcuts, some things to think about today when you're making those decisions in a season and in a workout to know when to do that extra rep or to press on and get your workout done versus when to back off. So we be talking about that as my main topic. As we dig into some current events, though, I've got a few things I wanted to cover quickly as we had actually lots of pretty fun track and field action going off this past week. We had, first of all, amazing results at the Stockholm Diamond League. And for my UK fans out there, I've got to give a shout out to Laura Muir, who ran the first sub four 1500 meter of the 2020 season as she absolutely crushed it, and yeah, I mean, what can you say? She ran 357 and won that race, so pretty, pretty impressive, and the British athletes in that race swept the top three spots with Laura Waitman and Melissa Courtney Bryant going 2-3 with Laura Muir well off the front in first Shannon Roberry was a U.S. entrant in that race and ran a solid sixth in 403. So shout out to the American as well. But that's a really fast time for Laura Muir. Really impressive, especially doing it more or less solo from the front. Now she of course had pacers and that always helps, but the racing element was really all down to how much she could win by and she absolutely crushed the field. So shout out to Laura Muir for that. I'm sure my UK fans were eager to see what she would do there and she absolutely crushed it. We had some other fun races. Another one we had in the US on the West Coast was Team Boss going at it with Corey McGee and Emma Coburn racing an 800 meter race. I think Emma said it was her first 800 meter race in more than 10 years. And she absolutely crushed it for a 3,000 steeplechaser. Corey McGee, one and two flat, just missed going sub two. And then Rebecca Mara, who is a Wazelle athlete, ran a PR to get a 201 in an impressive time for her and then Emma Coburn just behind in 201 for a PR for Emma showing her range from that 800 to the 3k really, really impressive stuff from Emma Coburn. And I think that with some other fast miles and 1500s that she's run this season is showing that she's used her time in this pandemic wisely really focusing on the faster end of the range, the speed side of things so that when she comes back, she's ready to roll to try to break nine in the steeple, which has been her goal for a while. So lots of fun races to see. Again, I'm just glad to see that these events are able to come together as as race directors are being creative about how to pull this off. And it seems like everybody's being smart about it doing tests beforehand in order to make sure everybody's safe. And then, of course, they've got the measures in place on the track to make sure that people can be appropriately distanced that aren't tested. So really good stuff, and I'm glad to see it happening, glad to see these pros getting a chance to do some races, even during this crazy and uncertain time. And there was a lot of other stuff, almost too many things to name. as the events are really starting to pick up across the world now at this point for all the elites. So that's been pretty cool to see. The other thing I have to mention after a couple of those highlights is to talk about the London marathon elite field. We have of course on the men's side, pretty much going to be Kipchoge versus Bekele. That's your prime matchup. It's almost a match race between those two. I would bet that you'll have another athlete that can kind of get in there and mix it up, but it's hard to know who that will be. But on the women's side, the field is really fleshing out to be something that should be fun and fascinating. Of course, they've already announced Bridget Kosky, The world record holder is going to be there. She's, of course, the world record holder from that crazy time in Chicago in 2019. And now, as I believe I predicted, She's got three solid competitors, all who have run 218 or faster, including the world champion, Rube cepin is going to be there. And then you've got Vivian Churiat and Rosa DeRege, who are also going to be there, all really fast. None as fast as Bridget Kosky, but I also don't think that they necessarily had the chance to really go for it, and especially with the new Alpha Flies. You really don't know what it means to run a 218 with the new shoes that could easily translate into several minutes faster right away, even with similar fitness. So I can I can promise you that an athlete like Vivian Churiat, who's a dedicated racer who's won London before, and Cheppen who's won the world championships, I guarantee you those athletes are going to be ready to give Bridget Koskay a run for her money. I'm sure they'll have pacers. I'm sure they'll be going for a world record. That would be my estimation. And so it's going to be fun to see those four ladies going at it at the front of that race. And then for the Americans who listen, we had some cool announcements that Molly Seidel, as well as Sarah Hall, will be in this field field as well. I alluded to the fact that this could be Sarah's race of choice after running that Half marathon PR in Eugene a couple of weeks ago, and indeed it has now become official that Sarah Hall will be going for I'm sure a marathon PR for her in this race after running that half marathon PR, and that's going to be exciting to see, especially after a disappointing trials for her. And then Molly Seidel will be in this race. She made an Olympic team, finishing second in the trials, right behind behind Olafine Tuliamuk in her debut marathon and so now she goes to london in her only or second marathon to, ride, to try to run a fast time on a flat course in what will be a completely different marathon experience i can promise you for molly seidel because in atlanta it was a, a race it was on a hilly up and down course in atlanta time did not matter it was all about getting top three and now molly seidel has to go to london and essentially time trial on a flat course completely different experience it'll be interesting to see if she and Sarah are grouped together in a pace group to try to run something fast because who knows I, I don't know what Molly Seidel will try to accomplish I would suspect that Sarah Hall is going to be going for a big result something in the low 220s that may not be appropriate for Molly Seidel at this point I don't know so it'll be interesting to see where she slots into this field, but it's going to be a completely different, much tougher, I think, race experience for Seidel because she's not going to have that big pack around her and she's not going to be racing for an Olympic team. She's going to be running a time trial for time. And with those front women, gonna they're going to be well away, well off the front from Seidel's time. It'll be interesting to see how she slots in and how she can deal with essentially running a marathon time trial to try to run a marathon PR for her. I know she's got the talent, but this will be a completely different experience and it'll be interesting to see how she handles it. But also an opportunity to run really really fast and to drop that that marathon PR so that she gets an opportunity to run a race like that as she's rounding out her experience before going back to the Olympics next year. So that'll be fun and fascinating to see. No doubt Sarah Hall will show up ready to roll. But can she put it all together as sometimes she struggles doing that on race day? And then can Molly Seidel handle a time trial type experience where it's all about time versus the race experience she had in Atlanta? We shall see. But that's all coming up in October. Exciting to see lots of storylines there coming together on both the men's and the women's side. So those are my announcements for today, fundraising action, and then those London fields being announced, we will see how that shakes out as those races get a little bit closer. So that's that, let's talk about the main topic today. As I mentioned in my intro, we're gonna be talking about when to press versus when to rest. This is a tough, tough question to answer. And you get these questions as a runner all the time when you're trying to figure out how do I navigate that line between doing too much, building up too much stress, putting stress on yourself in a way that might cause injury or long-term fatigue versus when it's time to back off, when it's time to give yourself that extra rest. And the other thing I want to be clear here is that Rest, when I say rest, I'm not necessarily talking about taking a day off. Sometimes that's the right choice, but sometimes it's just a matter of backing off. Maybe doing a run, but instead of doing a harder, longer, medium, long run, backing off to something shorter. So you're still getting in that blood flow, that healing promoted by blood flow, but you're not taxing your system in the same way. So rest can look like a lot of things in the context of this discussion. And so just keep that in mind. When I use the term rest, I'm not necessarily talking about a day off. Sometimes that's the right choice, but sometimes it's just a matter of backing off and doing something that's not as taxing, that still promotes blood flow, that still promotes healing, that maybe gives you another modality for healing via foam roller or cross training or some type of active recovery versus just a pure day off. So when I'm talking about rest, That's what I'm talking about. But first, before I dig into this, and I'm going to be talking about it in kind of two ways. I'll be talking about when to rest within a season, within a training cycle, and then I'm going to be talking about when to rest in the context of a workout. And we'll get to both things because those questions obviously manifest a little bit differently. But before I get there, I wanted to talk about the concept and just make sure we underscore critical principles of this stress and rest balance. And this kind of came up in an interesting way on my clean sport podcast. I was talking about Brad's, I was talking with Brad Stolberg and Shannon Burnett was co-hosting with me on two episodes ago of the clean sport collective podcast. Highly recommend that one. If you want to check it out, he's also got some really good tips in there on dealing with the stress of the pandemic So, would go check out that. I think it was episode 62 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. But in that episode, we had a fascinating discussion with Brad about doping. And what he was talking about was the challenge of being a clean athlete in sport is that in some ways, the risk of doping isn't just that that person who is choosing to do it and is cheating is going to get the win when they didn't deserve it. But there's also a risk that that clean athlete will see that person who's cheating, who's getting those victories instead, and will do things, turn themselves out in order to get there by overdoing it. Because they think they have to in order to get to that level. Because what you have is a person who's using drugs to basically do supernatural things. Because when you're on performance enhancing drugs, you're able to come back and do workouts more quickly. Because your body recovers more quickly. And you might have some ongoing recovering happening even when you're pressing that the drugs are providing. And so when clean athletes see that and try to press to those same edges, Mm -hmm. they get injured they end up in a place of burnout. They end up having to perhaps fall out of the sport because they couldn't handle the loads that the human body wasn't meant to handle. And so he was mentioning that as a challenge, that with doping, not only is it a challenge that that cheater could end up as a winner, but there's also a challenge that those clean athletes will see that cheater and see what they're doing and able to do because of drugs in a supernatural way and or superhuman way, And then they'll try to match that, but they can't because as humans, there is a balance between stress and rest that is very fine. And you have to make sure those two things go hand in hand. Otherwise, you'll end up in a place where you get injured, you get burnout, you get lingering fatigue that might cause overtraining syndrome. And most importantly, perhaps you're not building fitness. If you're, doing too much stress all the time. And if and in running we I think we struggle with embracing that concept, but we don't struggle it in other areas which I think is kind of fascinating. If you think about weightlifting for example, I think everybody pretty consciously recognizes that I can't go bench press every day. So if I go Monday bench press, Tuesday bench press, Wednesday bench press, Thursday bench press, If I'm constantly bench pressing, then I'm only tearing down those muscles. I'm not giving them space to build up. So oftentimes when people are cycling muscle groups with their weight training, they're naturally cycling through the different body muscle, sorry, the different muscle groups in order to make sure that you stress a muscle group one day, you give it a couple of days rest, and then you come back and stress it again so that that stress and rest cycle fits together. We see that in weightlifting. It makes sense to us. We know that if we're trying to do bicep curls and build the size of our arms on one day that we can't go back the next day and do more bicep curls because you're too tired to, you're too sore, you're too fatigued. You know it's only going to be destructive. But for some reason, that same intuition doesn't carry over to running. We think that we can go out and hammer all the time. But... The truth is, and Frank Shorter talked about it in a really, I think, profound way on last week's episode, is he talked about knowing those instincts of making sure you're staying, you're pushing when you need to push, you're holding back when you need to hold back, you're riding that fine line of the edge so that you don't go over it. And that means working hard when you're supposed to work hard, which in his case he said was only a couple of times a week outside of his long runs. And then resting and recovering, again, active rest, but resting and recovering on those other days so that you can put more into the hard days, get more out of the hard days, and then even on the hard days, you have to know when to back off and when to press. So that's the question that we're going to talk about today because I find that that may be one of the single most difficult concepts to teach as a coach, as a running coach, And it starts with recognizing it intellectually that the stress and rest balance is important. And then the next step is actually going and doing the work of executing on that stress and rest balance, on making those decisions in workouts to back off on this rep or to do that extra rep. Those decisions are coming all the time in running. And we have to know, we have to learn to discern when to back off, when to rest and when to press. And I will say that I'm going to give you tips today, but that is not, it is not something that comes easily. And I want you to to try to incorporate the words that I'm telling you today. Use this as a lesson to figure out that balance but then also know that then you got to go put it into practice and you got to feel it out yourself. you got to figure out how it works for you and make some bad decisions sometimes. Sometimes you're going to find that you overdo it. And even the most experienced athletes will do that because sometimes we get greedy. Sometimes we let the ego get in the way. Sometimes we let peer pressure get us out there for that other rep. And that's, that's okay. It's okay to make choices that sometimes end up with bad outcomes because that's where the lessons are. That's when you can then take that, assimilate it, and then hopefully next time make a better choice. I can tell you, as someone myself who's been running for 20 years, when I first started, I had no idea of this concept. I was in a mode of thinking that I had to go hard all the time and it not only caused injury for me, Early on in my running career, got a stress fracture training for my first marathon, but it also caused a plateau for me before I really knew what I was doing from a coaching standpoint in those first three to four years of running. It caused a plateau for me that was a bit of a a glass ceiling for me for a little while where I I thought I was doing all the right things. I was doing all this hard work and I just couldn't break through because I was pushing too hard all the time. In particular, I remember trying to it took me the longest time to break 38 minutes in the 10k. I went after it for a long time and I kept running 3805, 3815, 3830. I would have the same pattern almost always in those 10k's where I would start out maybe a little fast and I would get to a a pace in the middle that you know was target and then I would usually blow it in the 4th mile, kind of lose focus, maybe back off or have to back off in the 4th and 5th mile and then I would try to hammer again at the end. And I would just constantly it was constantly beating my head against the wall. Part of that was learning to run a 10k well, but but a big part of it was also I was in this period of my running career where I was not balancing stress and rest appropriately. So my fitness plateaued, I wasn't building because I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to recover. So, that my body could get stronger. So, you got to balance those things. But knowing the balance, knowing when to do the extra rep or when not to do the extra rep, that is a fundamentally difficult question. I'm going to give you some tips on how to answer those questions today, but you have to figure it out for yourself. Go do it, go experiment with it, try it, learn, continue to evolve. Because even 20 years into this running journey for me, sometimes I make the wrong choice. I can remember. I did it this summer. I made the wrong choice. We had a a 1K workout. It was six to eight times 1K. And stubbornly, for some reason, I went into it thinking I was going to do all eight no matter what. And yet, that was a bad choice. When I got into it, it was a hot, humid morning here in Texas. I should have been done at six, but I pressed on just stubbornly because why I, I don't because I don't even know why because I was just ego, I think ego got in my way and I've, and that not only put me in a dangerous place on that day because I overheated in the last couple of reps but also I think probably contributed to some of the injury issues i was I'm dealing with now in my heel because I overdid it, so you gotta learn the balance, but again, you may not get it right, and that's okay. learn. And then reincorporate those lessons into future workouts and then keep learning and keep making mistakes because that's all a part of the process. But I can guarantee you that now I make far fewer mistakes on this than I did when I was 25 and relatively new to my running journey. So I'm going to give you some tips on what I've learned about how to make this decision of when to press and when to rest. Here we go. First, we're going to talk about how to make these decisions Within a season, within a season. And I'm going to kind of frame this as you should back off when. You should kind of back off when. Or you should err on the side of being conservative when. And so I'm going to give you some examples of when you should back off in a season. And the first one is all about timing. When you're early in a season for something, and by season, I just mean a training block. If your season is I'm training for this half marathon, or maybe you have a season where you're dealing, where you're trying to prepare for a 5K or 10K, or maybe you have a virtual race planned on the calendar later this fall. So I'm talking about a training season, and that might be a three-month window. It might be a five-month window. But you got to know within a season when to make those decisions to press versus Rest. And one of those is just dependent, or one of those variables is just dependent on the timing of where you are in the season. Are you in the early part where you're just trying to adapt, trying to get into the mode? Or are you in the throes of it where your race is coming, you're in that peak mode, and it's time to really gear down? So that's really the first variable. When in doubt, back off if it's early season. When in doubt, back off if you're early in the season. I'm convinced as a coach that part of peaking as an athlete, part of peaking on your goal race date is knowing this very question, knowing when to back off and when to press. And when you're early season, one way of telling your body that it's not time to go, that it's not time to peak Is by making those decisions to back off, to err on the conservative side. And when you're in peak mode, which depending on your race distance, it might be three to six weeks out from a marathon, it might be two to four or five weeks out from a half, it might be two to four weeks out from a 5K or 10K. In those windows, you can tell your body that it's time to peak by riding the edge, by pressing when you're not sure and so part of this question within a season is where am i in the season and if you're early season always always err on the conservative side back off a little bit here and there on mileage take one fewer rep back off on pace choose to take those easier runs easier than normal All of those decisions should be made early in the season because not only are you building into the training and your body's adapting and fitness is starting to come around so that you can put that fitness to work later, but you're also sending a signal to your body that it's not time to go yet. You want to make sure your body knows that you're in early training. And a part of signaling that to your body is by staying conservative. Sometimes when runners come back into a training mode after maybe having some downtime, then one way I do this is by telling them to run a pace group back or two back from their normal group while they're rebuilding that fitness so that it's a signal to your body that I'm just being patient. I'm getting into it. Um, being conservative so that you don't tax yourself too much when it comes to injury as those muscles and tendons and that neuromuscular system readapt to the load, but also so that your aerobic system can really focus on building aerobic strength versus really trying to press the edge of speed. And so backing off on paces can help you do that. Doing one fewer rep can help you do that. When in doubt, always choose the conservative option if you're early season in anything. And during this pandemic time, maybe that's true all the time because you don't have a peak that you're building to. And maybe you're just trying to maintain your own fitness, in which case you should always choose the conservative path. So... That's sort of point one within a season. If it's early season, and this is any time, earlier than six weeks out from a marathon, five weeks out from a half, four weeks out from a 10K, three weeks out from a 5K, any earlier than those times, always choose the conservative path. Always choose the conservative path. Do the work. Hit the ranges from your coach but choose the conservative path, whether that's for your reps, easier pace, backing off the mileage on a given day. Make those decisions early in the cycle. Err on the conservative side so you can not only avoid injury, but also make sure that you're not overdoing it from a fitness perspective. Because if you're trying to reach your peak all the time, then you'll peak too soon. And then you'll not have what you need when the peaking matters, which is, again, more like three to six weeks out from a marathon, three to five from a half, three to four from a 10K, two to four from a 10K, two to four from a 5K. Those are your windows. And when you're in those windows of time, that's when, of course, you don't want to go over the edge. But that's when, when in doubt, do the full reps, when in doubt, nail the paces when in doubt hit your weekly mileage because running on tired legs is a part of it that's your window for riding the line is those peaking periods that peaking phase of training but your window for backing off and being conservative is pretty much every other time certainly that's early season but it also would be true during a taper and it's certainly true when you're in between seasons so that's pretty much every time except for that peaking window you want to choose the conservative path it's interesting every week i do workouts with my athletes i give them a range i give them a range and i think the the in terms of the number of reps if we're doing intervals for example i might last week for example i had my group doing hill repeats and you know we have a certain number of reps for that and I inevitably get this question and it comes in a few different forms. How many reps should I do? How many reps should I do? And that isn't a question that I typically like to answer myself as a coach. My approach as a coach is I'm giving you a given number of reps. If you can complete any number of reps within that range, let's say it's six to eight, Anything between six and eight looks like success. Anything between six and eight. Eight isn't necessarily better than six. Eight isn't necessarily better than six. And so, as an athlete, your job is to figure out how many in that range will allow me to balance, to do the right, to do the minimum prescribed reps, and then get the right balance. We'll talk. A little bit later about how to make that choice within a workout. But I don't ever want to answer that question for an athlete up front, unless maybe there's a specific case, like they're coming back from injury, or maybe they're rebuilding their training cycle, and I might automatically tell them to do the lowest number. But if they're capable of doing eight, but we still have to see how they feel on that day, I ideally want them making that decision themselves based on how they feel in the moment and we'll get to again we'll get to that in a second in terms of in workout decision making but within a season and in, and in any given workout within a season and the early season workouts make that conservative choice do six instead of seven or seven instead of eight but when you're in the throes of it when you're peaking ride that edge So that's point one on making that decision within a season. Point two, when to be conservative. If you've had one full week of feeling bad, of feeling bad, and I'm not talking about injury. I'm talking about fatigue. I'm talking about a full week where every run was bad and your workouts sucked and it just felt like everything was hard that goes on for a full seven days and I'm not talking about, oh, I had a couple of bad runs this week. I'm talking about seven days worth of bad runs where you felt sluggish, you felt terrible, everything was hard, you couldn't hit your paces in the workout. There's a, uh, an underlying fatigue that's carrying with you everywhere. If that happens for a full seven days, then that's a sign that you need to back off that you need to back off. What does backing off look like? I've talked about that in other episodes again. But if you've got seven days of data that tell you that you're fatigued, it's time to listen. It's time to listen. And that might happen within a season. And there will be a lot of people that think, well, if I, if I back off now, then I'm going to miss critical work that I need to get ready for my peak race. And I would say that I would ask you to flip that on its head. If you don't back off, then you will bury yourself in a way that will cause you to miss critical work towards your peak race. But if you do back off, then yes, you might have a week where you're rebuilding a little bit. But then you'll be able to get back on it and continue to do the critical work needed to get to your peak race. Because there is no such thing there is no such thing as a perfect training cycle. I've said that before in this podcast. I'll say it again. There's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. You're going to have the little injuries that pop up. You're going to have those moments of fatigue where you feel like you've overdone it. And the important part isn't that that happens. It's what you do with that information when you feel it. And if you're able after a week to make adjustments in the next week, in order to get back to feeling sharp again, then you'll be able to salvage your season. Otherwise, you'll bury yourself. So that's point number two. If you have a week, and I would say that this qualifies even during that peak season, you have a week where everything went wrong. Every single thing. Again, I'm not talking about a bad workout. I'm not talking about a couple of bad runs. Talking about every single run that week was bad, sluggish, slow, and then that fatigue lingered before and after. That's a sign that it's time to make an adjustment. And that to me is a pretty hard and fast rule. And if you can catch it after a week, you should typically be able to salvage it. So that's point number two. Point one early season, always make the conservative choice. Point two, if you have a week of bad fatigue and runs, full week, every run's bad, make the conservative choice. Point three, this is more related to injury, more related to injury, but if you have three runs in a row of lingering pain, it's time to make some adjustments. Three runs in a row of lingering pain, time to make some adjustments. And so this is where we're talking about the potential niggles that might pop up, the little pain that's not just soreness, but that is actually maybe something that could manifest fully into an injury. That's when it's time to have an intervention. And again, this can look like a lot of different forms. This can look like simply skipping a workout day. This could look like choosing the small, the shorter number of reps in a workout. This could like Look like backing off pace could look like a lot of different things, and I would recommend that you listen to episode 181 where I talk about navigating a running funk. But basically, you need to make adjustments. You need to back off. You need to slow down. You need to perhaps invest in some rehab or prehab so that that doesn't manifest into something that's going to cause modifications to your season. So three days, three days of feeling it on the run. And I would say, and really, this is a lesson that, man, I wish I had listened to myself from earlier this season. I started feeling whispers in my heel, a little bit of pain. And that just kept building gradually, very, almost imperceptibly throughout the summer to the point where I started having to modify my runs. But honestly, I did it too late. I did it too late. It was a consistent pain. I should have listened to my, to my own body, made some adaptations sooner, and I wouldn't be dealing with this more chronic injury that I have now if I had listened to my own advice. But again, sometimes we make those mistakes. I am living it now and certainly have learned a lesson that I will carry back into my training. But please don't make the same mistake that I do. Three runs of pain, do something. Do something to switch things up to start work on working on that issue so that it doesn't become a full-blown injury again that usually still involves running highly recommend listening to episode 181 where I talk about a little bit of that but you want to make the right modifications in order to stay be able to stay on it be able to keep rolling towards your journey or your goal for the season so that's Number three, three runs in a row of pain that is more than soreness, and it's time to make modifications. And then the last thing I'll mention here is one related more or less to training, but more to life. And that's anytime you have a situation where you missed a block of days. And typically, for me as a coach, this is more than four days. You missed two, three days of training for whatever reason usually you can jump back into training and, and typically be okay with that so that you don't overdo it coming back. But if you miss more than four days, then that requires you to build back a little bit to make some adjustments so that you don't overdo it. And it doesn't necessarily mean cutting mileage. It could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. But it generally means just listening to your body a little bit, backing off, if coming back from those four days, don't jump right back into a workout. Do an easy run first, see how you feel. And then your next workout, choose the conservative choice. Back off a little bit, choose the lesser number of reps. Or maybe if it's a long run, cut back that long run distance a little bit so that you you can see how your body adapts to that little bit of downtime. And then get back on it once you get the all clear from your body that all systems are go. So that's a fourth circumstance within a training season is when, for whatever reason, life happens, schedule gets crazy, kid gets sick, something pops up at work, whatever it may be, and you just get thrown off from your training cycle, in which case when you come back from that, you want to make sure you're being conservative in those cases so that you don't overdo it as you build back. So there you go. Those are my four things for within a season. Early season, always make the conservative choice. One week of bad days, make the conservative choice. Back off, do what you need to do to get fresh again. Three running days of pain in a row, back off, work on that issue, address it, then build back. Or if you miss more than four days of running for life reasons, that's another reason to back off as you build back. Four things within a season. Now let's talk about within a workout, within a workout. And I'll frame this in a few different ways. One, we're just going to talk about some general concepts to think about in terms of the framework for making this decision. And then we'll talk about some moments within the workout that are cues that it's time to cut it short or to back off. And again, remember, context. Early season workouts you're going to be making a conservative choice. Peaking mode. Generally, you want to be at the edge, so you want to choose the max choice. You want to be more precise on pace, right? So we've already set that framework. But let's talk about kind of this concept within a workout generally. And the first thing to to discuss really is understanding the purpose of the workout. Understanding the purpose of the workout. There are some workouts that are about being on the edge. Typically, they're more aerobic endurance strength oriented. Sometimes they're VO2 max oriented, where you're really focused on building 5K, 10K speed. But there are different types of workouts. And you have to know going into a workout, what's the purpose here? What's the purpose here? Because that sets your framework for decision-making about how many to do, about how many reps to do. So think about that going in, you know, and ask yourself based on the purpose of this workout, is this a day to press or is this a day to hold back to make conservative choices? And so I'll give you some examples here. Right now, My Wednesday morning group here in Austin, we call them the Rogue Morning Show. They just came off a big base building block we did over the summer, most of them anyway, that we did called the Summer of Miles. And then we rolled into from there, we're backing off mileage a little bit, and we're going back to fundamentals on speed development. And so we've got about a six-week block where we're really focused on working on speed again with them. And so we're doing some higher-end workouts that are focused on turnover, typically with more rest, typically with a little bit more rest built in so that you can get full recoveries and then really focus on those intervals because we're trying to work on raw speed. And so a workout like this, like that, is a workout where you want to stay away from the edge of fatigue. Yeah, you're going to be doing fast work. Yes, you're going to be tired from the work. The point of the workout is to work on raw speed, neuromuscular recruitment, so that you can be faster. And it's not beneficial to continue a workout like that when fatigue starts to set and when your form starts to break down, when things start to get ugly in terms of you being able to do the workout in the prescribed paces. So if that's true... If you know that going into a workout, then you're going to frame your workout a little bit differently. You know, maybe it's six to eight reps, but you're going to really focus on doing those reps in a way that allows you to finish feeling still controlled, relaxed, and smooth at pace. Yes, you're going to be running fast. Yes, you're going to be getting tired. But... You want to make sure that in a workout like that, you're staying well away from the edge because the point isn't necessarily to work a part of the aerobic system. The point of that type of workout is primarily to recruit the nerves, recruit the muscles to help you get faster, and you do that most effectively when everything is put together. So in a workout like that, with big rest, maybe with higher end paces, again, All it takes is a little bit of stimulus. Frank Shorter mentioned this last week, a little bit of stimulus to get what you need. You don't have to go over the edge. So in a workout like that, you're going to choose the conservative path. You're going to choose a conservative path versus in a more aerobic strength oriented workout where it's all about pressing in the middle of fatigue, trying to keep your form together once you get tired. That's a different format where you're sort of embracing that fatigue at some level. And yeah, you don't want to continue once things get sloppy. But at the same time, you're sort of expected to kind of run through that fatigue. And that's a part of the purpose of the day. So you're going to be a little bit less conservative on a workout like that. So you got to know your workout. What are you trying to accomplish today? And if you don't know specifically yourself, ask your coach before you get there. Say, hey, coach, what are some indicators today on how many reps I should be doing? What would be the variables I should consider? And they're going to be able to explain that to you and talk a little bit about the purpose and talk a little bit about what they're trying to accomplish so that you can work to the appropriate edge. So that's sort of, The overarching point here is that you got to know your purpose in the workout. So now let's talk about some more specific elements, some more specific elements, particularly when it comes to how do I know when? And and I'll tee that up by when to back off. I'll tee that up by saying, in general, this is a good, I think, overarching rule. In general, you want to finish workouts feeling like you could do one more rep at pace feeling like you could do one more rep at pace. So if you've got a 12 by 400 workout and maybe maybe it was a 12 to 16 by 400 workout and you get to that 13 rep and you, and you know you could do one more but you're not sure if you could do two more, then that's a sign to stop. Again, this requires some learning, some feel. But you should always finish these workouts typically feeling like you could do one more. And learning that balance, learning those signs isn't easy and it takes some experience. But you kind of know. You kind of know where you are. You kind of know when you finish a rep. Are you, are you on the limit? Or could you get one more out of yourself? And that's a good overarching rule is always finish a workout knowing that you could do one more at pace. What are some more specific signs that it's time to stop or back off? One of them is form-related. One of them is form-related. Typically, when you get sloppy with your form, it's time to stop. When you get sloppy with your form, it's time to stop. What does that look like? Sloppy form is when your shoulders start hunching forward. Sometimes people lean forward. Oftentimes. The arms get out of whack. The legs stop moving and, and flowing freely. You you know that feel of sloppy form when things start to get really, really wonky. And those are cues to listen to because when things start to get sloppy with your form, that's generally a sign to stop. Now, the caveat there is that a part of building marathon and half marathon fitness is being able to keep solid form for as long as possible by being efficient as you run. And so part of what we're training is smooth efficient running, relaxed running so that that form stays solid for longer and longer periods of time. And so part of your mission in most workouts is to is to keep that form in check, is to use your mind to stay relaxed with your body, head, shoulders, arms, legs, all the way to your toes. So that you can do more reps and be comfortable about those reps. But there are some where we miscalculate or there are sometimes when you get to the limit anyway and that's when you know when you start to get sloppy with your form it's usually time to call it because in those cases sloppy form not only does it potentially lead to injury because you're doing wonky things with your leg maybe compensating in some way for weaknesses or fatigue that could cause injury. But typically, you've also gone outside the purpose of the workout. You're no longer accomplishing what you were supposed to accomplish when the form gets sloppy. And so that's a time to recognize the sloppy form and to call it a day. Call it a day. And if you have a coach in front of you, you can talk to him about it. But if you don't, make the decision on your own because running reps on sloppy form isn't going to get you anything and at best. And at worst, you'll end up with some sort of injury. So sloppy form, telltale sign to stop or back off. Another sign is when the paces start going in the wrong direction. When the paces start, start going in the wrong direction. Typically, I like athletes to execute workouts in progression. So even if I tell you, go run, let's say that same workout, let's say 12 times 16, uh, 12 to 16 times 400 meters at 5k pace, 12 to 16 times 400 meters at 5k pace, even if I tell you to run 5k pace for every rep, typically it's best to execute that, that workout in progression in some way. Start a little bit slower than 5k, work down to 5k pace. Hold 5K pace. And then maybe in those last one or two reps, get a little bit faster than 5K pace. Progress through workouts. It makes sense in so many ways. First of all, because if you progress, you're allowing your body to warm up in a way that allows you to relax and be more efficient when you get to those paces. Also, that proper warm-up allows you to prevent injury. The other thing it does is it helps you dial into pace more effectively. Many people make the mistake of going way too fast on those early reps because they're eager and they're fresh and then they get buried in a hole because of that. But if you start conservatively, if you miss slow, as I like to say on those early reps, that allows you to figure out and create a gauge for your pace and then feel that pace out gradually If you make small changes in effort to allow you to dial into that pace at some point, hold it, and then press at the end when it's time. So it allows you to execute that workout from a pace standpoint more effectively if you start conservatively. And then the last thing it does is it ingrains in you this idea of starting slow, finishing fast, that also typically becomes important on race day. Most races, 10K or longer You want to start more conservatively in mile one, sometimes more than mile one, and then work down to a target pace and then hopefully kick at the end. Negative splits, and even Kipchoge can tell you in the marathon, negative splits typically are the most effective way to run a race, even if it's subtle. And so by executing negative splits in a workout, you're also creating this muscle memory as well as mental memory of how you should be executing on race day that can then translate to those important goal-setting days. So, pression in workouts is critical. And sometimes, occasionally, look, you might run a slow rep in a workout because you just lost focus. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're pressing and your pace is slower, then that's the time to call it. Again, I made this mistake earlier this summer in that 1K workout I was talking about where I was supposed to do six to eight. I ended up doing all eight, but struggled the last two. Well, that last rep was not fast. And I knew it wasn't, it wasn't my fastest of the day. And I knew it wasn't going to be, I knew it was going to be everything I had just to hold pace. And I think I did. I think I was just maybe slightly slower, but almost held my pace that last rep But it was everything I had and I was bearing myself to do it. That isn't how you want to finish a workout. You want to finish a workout fast and strong and feeling like you could do one more. On that day, it was none of the above for me. But anytime your pace goes the wrong direction in a workout, not because you made a mistake or you lost focus, but because you're too fatigued to hold pace, that's a time to call it. That's the time to call it because you've, you're have you no longer executing the workout in a way that is intended and you're at that point where you could, could be potentially risking injury if you keep pressing. So that's another sign to back off. So we've talked about based on the purpose of the workout, knowing when to back off or not. We've talked about when form breaks down, knowing when to back off or not. We've talked about when your pace goes the wrong direction. That's a sign to back off or not. And we've talked about that famous, as you may have heard it before, one rep rule. Finishing a workout, feeling like you could do one more rep. And then I've got one last thing to talk about. And that's a mental threshold. There are times when we show up, wake up, get out there to go run. And maybe we're dreading a workout for whatever reason. That happens. We might be dreading it going in. Generally, especially in the throes of a training cycle, I tell people to get out there anyway because you never know what's going to happen when you start to move your body. Oftentimes, things turn around for you. But if you're ever at a point in a workout where you just don't want to do it anymore... Where you're mentally done, you're not having fun, to me, that's a sign to call it too. That's a sign to call it too. Because if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to me talk about this topic, pretty esoteric topic for an hour, you're a committed runner. You wanna get better. You've got big goals that you wanna tackle. Motivation is not your issue. If you're having those thoughts, it's a sign that you're at the edge of burnout or that maybe your body's telling you something that your mind's picking up on. Maybe you're not fully aware of the reasons. Maybe you're not fully in touch with the why you just feel like you're in a funk or just don't want to be out there. But if you're as motivated as you are to listen to me talk for an hour to go out and do the types of hard workouts that I talk about. And you get out there and you move your body and you get through half the reps and you haven't somehow found that love or found that passion or kicked it into gear, which 99.9% of the time happens for most of us when we just go out and move and get that first step under our belt. If you're still at a place where you just don't want to do it, where it just feels... Hard or you're not having fun, call it. Call it. Doesn't mean you have to stop running altogether. Maybe you just want to go finish an easy run if that's what you feel motivated to do. But if you're in that place, that place of just lack of motivation, that's another sign to call it. Because your body is maybe not physically telling you anything that you can, that you can tune into, but somehow it's signaling signals to your mind, or maybe there's stress that's over your head that's causing that lack of motivation, whatever it may be, there's something imperceptibly that's just giving you that lack of desire. And I want you to listen to that lack of desire because it's a sign that you need to back off for whatever reason. And again, if that lasts longer than seven days, then there's something else to look at and you need to dig into something deeper, but maybe the next day you're good. Maybe the next week, the workout looks great, feels great. Fine. You have all that motivation. It's likely a one-off situation. Cut it short, call it a day, go run easy the rest of the time. Maybe cut your run short, mix it up the next day, find some fun out of that situation and then live to fight another day. That is another sign. So we've talked running form. We've talked your times. And we've also talked about just the mental side. If you're not feeling it, just call it. That's okay. Live to fight another day. This is a long-term game you're playing. Your journey in this game, not only lasts five months, perhaps the building up to a marathon, including the base phases, but it's going to hopefully be something that lasts a lifetime. Like Frank Shorter was talking about. And so when in doubt, when you're not motivated, when you're not having fun, call it. That is a sign. And that's okay if you need to cut it short on that day. So that's another sign. Form, pace going the wrong direction, and or you're just not having fun. And again, finish all of these workouts like feeling like you could get one more rep done. Because even in the peak season, peak part of your season that I talked about where you should be riding that edge, you should be able to get to the max reps in that case and still feel good and strong because you're at your peak of your fitness. You're ready to roll. Even as the fatigue building, you have built all the tools to counterbalance that, to work through it. And so you should still be able to get the work done and feel like you could get one more rep if you've got a coach that's giving you the right load. So that's that's the last point, which is listen to your mind Motivation is a great indicator of of what you need to do in life. And so listen to that as well. And just know, my last point as I wrap this up, just know that no matter what, if you make a conservative choice at any point in your training, at any point in your training, at any part of the season even, if you make a conservative choice, that's okay. A conservative choice is okay because that'll allow you to live to fight another day that will allow you to have the longevity that will get you to the start line healthy. And a healthy runner is a runner that has a shot at smashing big goals. One that's burned out or injured is not. So when in doubt, regardless of everything I just talked about, when in doubt, if you're still not sure, if you're still thinking, man, Chris didn't talk about this thing, I'm feeling this thing that's different than everything else he talked about. If you're still not sure at the very end of this, As you make these decisions, make the conservative choice because I promise you living to fight another day will set you up for success as a healthy runner down the road. So that's my last overarching point is when in doubt, back off. Live to fight another day. That's it. That's it on my discussion of when to press versus when to rest. Go out there, do the work, make those decisions in your daily training. Make mistakes, recognize those mistakes, learn from them. And again, above all else, live to fight another day. Thanks as always for listening. We're at episode 197, creeping towards that episode 200. You can always check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. I've also got, I'll be opening up podcast training coming up as a final announcement the week after Labor Day. On September 8th, we'll be opening up both our base training group as well as our main Renegades podcast group. So if you're interested in checking those out, I will include the link to sign up for our email list so that you can get that info when it's time. Otherwise, I'll be back to you next week with another episode. We'll talk to you guys soon.